Thank you for visiting the YourMindfulCoach.com podcast, now available on Stitcher, Player FM, and iTunes. Today we explore the intersection of our internal and external experience and how familiarity, intimacy with this intersection can be meaningful and awakening. We ask the question, what emotions and identity do I hold behind the mask that I allow the world to see? Who gets to see behind this mask? As we explore further, we ask, what is happening in our experience and can I be with it? As a method to arrive at non-judging awareness as our life unfolds. To learn more, visit www.yourmindfulcoach.com or send an email to Mark, that's M-A-R-C, at yourmindfulcoach.com. Thank you. We'll start with the late, great Leonard Cohn, Anthem. Ring the bell that still can ring. Forget your There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. In chapter one of Jack Cornfield's book, The Wise Heart, he tells the story of the luminous qualities inside each being. It serves as a reminder that we don't need to look outside of ourselves for happiness and contentment. Instead, we can look inside ourselves for what's already there. He writes... In a large temple north of Thailand's ancient capital, Sukhothai, there once stood an enormous and ancient clay Buddha. Though not the most handsome or refined work of Thai Buddhist art, it had been cared for over a period of 500 years and become revered for its sheer longevity. Violent storms, changes of government, and invading armies had come and gone, but the Buddha endured. At one point, however, the monks who tended the temple noticed that the statue had begun to crack and would soon be in need of repair and repainting. After a stretch of particularly hot, dry weather, one of the cracks became so wide that a curious monk took his flashlight and peered inside. What shone back at him was a flash of brilliant gold. Inside this plain, old statue, the temple residents discovered one of the largest and most luminous gold images of the Buddha ever created in Southeast Asia. Now uncovered, the Golden Buddha draws throngs of devoted pilgrims from all over Thailand. The monks believed that this shining work of art had been covered in plaster and clay to protect it during times of conflict and unrest. In much the same way, Each of us has encountered threatening situations that lead us to cover our innate nobility. Cornfield continues, Just as the people of Sukhothai had forgotten about the Golden Buddha, we too have forgotten our essential nature. Much of the time, we operate from the protective layer. The primary aim of Buddhist psychology is to help us see beneath this armoring 
and bring out our original goodness called our Buddha nature. Our experience is weaving together of the internal and the external, bound to create conflicts and contradictions. And in much the same way, this talk is a collection of ideas that I've been bouncing around in my head, and hopefully some of them will resonate with you. I've called the talk Uncovering the Intimacy of Our Experience. It's an exploration of a meeting point between this internal and internal, external experience of our lives. So we'll look into our identity and how we express it, along with the emotions and the beliefs that we are willing to share with others. I'll offer some reflections, stories, and poems along the way. In a sense, we are all luminous beings covered in clay. The clay of our experience, our history, and our conditioning. How did we get here? Well, this layer of clay is actually important. It can be protective and adaptive, especially as we experiment with and shape our identity through our adolescence and even as we grow older. But how does it serve us? As a teacher, I don't need my students to know the ins and outs of my daily suffering, but that shouldn't prevent me from offering my presence, my attention. This protection can serve me, but it can also mask my authentic self. The poet Robert Bly uses the metaphor of a black bag. We put the parts of ourselves that are not acceptable into the black bag. Bly writes, we spend our life until we're 20 deciding what parts of ourselves to put in the bag, and we spend the rest of our lives trying to get them out again. How can we see inside? How can we see underneath? By opening our heart through the practice of compassion and love and empathy, we will connect with our true self. I suspect in a way our modern society heaps even more layers of clay upon us. I recently learned from a teacher, Michael Stone, that in India, as Buddhism developed, very little emphasis was placed on cultivating these qualities of compassion and joy, equanimity and balance, um, and loving kindness that are called the four immeasurable qualities, the qualities of the awakened heart. While these practices existed, the primary teachings of early Buddhism suggested that all beings were already in possession of the qualities. There was no need to cultivate them because all it took was stillness, silence, and a spaciousness to recognize that you are already there. You already have everything you need. You don't need to go find them. Just stop what you're doing and come out of the automatic pilot mode that so often characterizes our coming and going. Now, as Buddhism traveled back to China, it seems the simplicity of these teachings succumbed to the reality of everyday life with its trials and tribulations. And so we're fortunate that these beautiful practices of cultivation emerged because they serve to open our hearts, allowing our experience, but not holding it too tightly. I recently heard meditation teacher and hospice worker Frank Ostaseski talk about his shift from talking 
about mindfulness primarily, mindfulness, awakening, enlightenment, and realization, and more towards simple intimacy. He doesn't use the word mindfulness quite as much anymore, but instead by learning to be intimate with himself and the world, he finds himself naturally more mindful, naturally walking walking the path of awakening. We spend so much time pushing away the bad and grasping for the good that the real question ends up being, what's actually happening? What's happening in my experience? And can I be with it? More on these questions in a little bit. So what prevents intimacy? A big part of it seems to be a lack of intimacy with our internal experience. Just like the clay Buddha, we hold so much of ourselves behind the clay. One of the lessons I teach in my high school responsibility is about display rules and emotional labor. Display rules are often unwritten social and cultural rules that dictate how emotions should be expressed and what types of identities are appropriate to share with the world. In the 2015 documentary, The Mask You Live In, display rules are uncovered through an exercise where one of the teachers in a struggling school asks his students to write on a piece of paper what emotions they show to the world. This is their mask, their clay. Most students write funny or angry on this piece of paper. And then they're asked to turn the paper over and write what's really going on inside. How do you feel underneath this mask? Very different answers emerge. We see pain and sadness, worry, uncertainty, and so on. The humor, the anger, the rage in this case are acceptable display rules, particularly for more young men in a community where showing any weakness makes one a target. But it also cuts these young men off from their true selves and severs the connection to one's vulnerability. All these things held behind the mask end up in Robert Bly's Black Bat. What are the consequences of the mask you live in? Well, the mask can become permanent and then be used in situations where it really isn't helpful or supportive. I recently led the same exercise in a men's group I run. Their masks showed calmness, reliability, energy, and certainty. This is the image that they project to the world, having it all together, knowing all the answers. But underneath, these men discovered a profound exhaustion, fear, anger, doubt, confusion, and uncertainty inhabited their inner experience as they hold, sought to hold inside um, whatever they didn't want to show, whatever they didn't want to make vulnerable. Their sense of exhaustion really struck me. Along with display rules, you find the concept of emotional labor. Emotional labor has been explored most prominently in retail workers and service workers. Imagine, if you will, the checkout person who is trained to greet every customer with a cheery, can I help you find something or have a nice day? 
when all this person wants to do is to get back home with their child, or perhaps they're worried about how to make the next month's rent. Whatever, with whatever mask one wears, there's a psychological and spiritual cost to man maintaining that display. The emotions, the identity that is dictated by a mask. This exhaustion translates into disengagement, arguments with friends and partners, and also a profound sense of loneliness, because no one sees you for quite who you are. Hauntingly, the session that I led closed with a participant declaring, I realize no one sees behind my mask. No one. So why don't we take a moment to reflect? If you're able, you might close your eyes and assume a comfortable but alert posture. Sense your body. Feel your legs, your arms, your chest. Notice any sensations in your back or shoulders or head. Breathe deeply, arriving in the present. Now ask yourself the following question. What is the mask I wear? Allow responses to come as they will. No need to seek out an answer, just see what arises. What is the mask I wear? Breathe with it and observe your mind's response. Now ask yourself a new question. What is behind the mask? What does the mask obscure? Including these responses in your experience. Now asking yourself, what do I need? How can this mask serve me and what might I let go of? Once again, breathing deeply for just a few breaths. You might open your eyes when you're ready. For many years, my mask even had a name. After I finally let down this mask, my stepmom told me, yeah, you were Superman. Through force of will, I just got things done. The consequences be damned. Unfortunately, this made me vulnerable to kryptonite. When I found myself in situations that didn't need a superhero, I was lost. 
unable to change things to the way I wanted them to be, I found myself feeling a failure and as if I'd peaked and the rest of my life was all downhill. This led me to be difficult and stubborn, swimming upstream for no apparent reason. Now, at the same time, part of dropping the mask or letting people see behind it is about being selective with whom you share it. One must earn the right to see behind your mask. Many of us only confide in a romantic partner in this way, but relying on just one person for emotional support will eventually take a toll on both of you. So having a group of peers, friends, perhaps from a religious group or an affinity group, can serve this role quite nicely. A relationship of trust can be built. As vulnerability researcher Brene Brown declares, one must earn the right to see behind your mask, to see your vulnerability. Because we've held emotions and identity so often behind the mask for such a long time, there can be some kind of intoxication when you finally begin to let it out. You might start telling everyone, but not everyone is ready to hear it, given our culture's display rules and the expectations we live with. It's a sloppy and messy process, best left for an authentic, dare I say, intimate friendship. The men's and teachers groups I run offer such an arena where people experiencing the same unmasking trust and support each other as we stumble through the experience. Our mask can be isolating, lonely. I've told this story before, but one of the formative conversations of my career took place just a couple months after I had started the job of my dreams in investment management. I quickly found myself riddled with doubt as I trudged through my work. It seemed everyone else knew what they were doing, what was going on, and what to do. And I had no idea. So I brought it up with a co-worker I trusted, describing the paralysis of doubt that had overtaken me. This colleague actually asked me to close the door and brought his voice down low, telling me none of us had any idea what we're doing. The emotional labor of acting as if we knew everything was pervasive across the organization and the industry. But this discussion allowed me to feel less alone and begin to act with more freedom and lightness. We were all in the same boat. Returning to Frank Ostaseski and intimacy, there are some helpful tools and technologies that help us connect and become intimate with our internal and external experience. One such practice boils down to just two questions. What is happening and can I be with it? Why don't we try this out in a mini meditation? Again, closing your eyes if you're able. Resting comfortably, but with focus. And allowing yourself to breathe naturally. Now ask yourself, what is happening right now? What's really happening?
There's no need to try to change it or make it a certain way. Just noticing what is happening right now. You might find yourself thinking about the past or the future, but the expectation or memory isn't happening now, just the thought pattern. So what is happening now? And then asking yourself a second question. Can I be with it? No need to judge or analyze, but allowing whatever is happening because it's happening and reflecting. Can I be with it? Now, again, deepening the breath and opening your eyes. You might reflect on any shift or change that might have happened. Perhaps you were lost in thought, or perhaps you have become even more present, recognizing that what we say is happening now is often projections, expectations. This shift of recognizing what's happening without immediately responding opens up to a choice of how we can proceed with our life. We become more intimate with our experience and can respond thoughtfully instead of reacting out of habit. It can also be helpful to include one's breath, one's body, and one's senses in such a practice because those are certainly three things we always have us with, uh, have with us in the present moment. So we must begin with ourselves in order to be intimate with the world we must be intimate with our internal experience, recognizing what's happening and offering a curiosity as opposed to a judgment. So here's a poem I'd like to share from David White. It's called Start Close In. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. Start with the first thing. Close in. The step you don't want to take. Start with the ground you know. The pale ground beneath your feet. Your own way of starting the conversation. Start with your own question. Give up on other people's questions. Don't let them smother something simple. To find another's voice, follow your own voice. Wait until that voice becomes a private ear listening to another. Start right now. Take a small step you can call your own. Don't follow someone else's heroics. Be humble and focused. Start close in. Don't mistake that other for your own. Start close in. Don't take the second step or the third. 
Start with the first thing, close in, the step you don't want to take. So you don't create intimacy. It's already there for you, just waiting to be uncovered. If you try to pull it out or grab onto it, you'll lose it. Much as Father Richard Rohr says, you can't get there. You can only be there. So I'm not going to lie. It's not an easy task. How can we be intimate with our experience without at the same time judging it and analyzing it? How can we move from our story to our experience, leaving nothing out, but allowing our experience and holding the outcomes lightly? Staying close to our experience, be it pleasant or unpleasant, offers the possibility of a shift, of a change, of a transformation. And certainly this benefits from practice, from stillness and silence amidst the swirl of our lives. Take time. Sit for a minute or 20 and let the intimacy blossom. I'd like to close with some words from Mark Nepo. It's entitled Awakening Rights. We waste so much energy trying to cover up who we are when beneath every attitude is the want to be loved and beneath every anger is a wound to be healed and beneath every sadness is the fear that there will not be enough time. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Ring the bell that still can ring. Forget your perfect offer. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in.